Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Guys, it's Dr. Santosh. There he <laughs> is, right there. He's uh, your pediatric infectious disease Look at him go. researcher. So, there's, there's, there it goes. <laughs> it's a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> and hey, it's your ER Swiss Army knife, Doc, doc Ward. This week, it is time once again for our bi-weekly episodes where we round up all the medical news you can use in Journal Club. Yay! This week's theme is, no, you can't, sir, because all our articles are about cancer. So let me ask you, is is no, you can't, sir, a direct response to the <laughs> yes, you can thing? It was just the only pun I could make out of the word cancer and the fact that many medical things are being established to fight it. You know what? Yes. Yes. I will delete that whole thing. And it is. <laughs> I think the Republicans have a new slogan. Oh, that, that would be hilarious. If it was just tweeted out as like, that's the 2020 campaign slogan. No, you can, sir. Like <laughs> well, that's the new healthcare coverage. In there. The first just brief news update I want to give. Australia itself has come right out and said that when it comes to HPV, no, you can't, sir. They're yelling at the virus? Metaphorically. <laughs> but an announcement from the International Papillomavirus right. Society reveals that their free HPV yeah. vaccine program in schools has dramatically decreased cervical cancer rates. Uh, now, 
uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, HPV is one of those viruses that has been directly linked to causing cancer. So decreasing that rate of viral infection can directly impact cancer rates. Mostly cervical cancer, right? And cert- uh, some kinds of tongue and oropharyngeal cancer as well. Cancer, which was back in two thousand five, Australia implemented a free HPV vaccine program in schools, which I feel like maybe came with like the free lunch program. It's like you know, here's your slice of meatloaf and a shot in the arm. HPV is a sexually transmitted infection, and girls and boys in school from age twelve to thirteen years were given two doses of the vaccine for free. Anyone under the age of 19 was also permitted to get that, although they had to go ask for it. Still free, but not part of, you know, the school lunch program. In that length of time, I should stop saying that. It really has nothing to do with it. I just, that's the image in my head. Sure, sure. It's like potatoes. Hello, children. Uh, Salisbury steak. Shot. Meatloaf. Meatloaf kind of looks like. Oh, no, 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 let's not go there. Uh, it depends on the lunch lady, but yeah, totally. That's right. It can look like yeah. any number yeah. of tumors, yeah. actually. But that that is a that is a very progressive, uh, amazing program that they, they were able to pull off of. Were able to pull off of the years two thousand five and two thousand fifteen. The HPV rate among women age eighteen to twenty four dropped from twenty two point seven percent to one percent. Now, if you look at that in correlation with rates of cervical cancer developing from HPV, you'd have to expect that would be an equally large drop. Yeah, but in fact, it's an even larger drop because not all HPV infections result in cancer. So this is an amazing step and really shows the benefits of vaccination and, you know, even herd immunity. So kind of expanding on this from the young age, so that initial program was put in place to make sure everybody got it when they were in their teenage years, when you're at the highest risk for contracting the disease. But then they expanded it out and introduced a screening test, uh, which encouraged women to have PAPs every two years, but then a brand new, higher sensitive test was developed, where they now tell all women age 25 to 74 to get a pap test every five years. And this new test can target even more strains of HPV that cause cancer. And they're really just working to eradicate it both from Australia completely and then to provide this vaccine globally to shrink world rates. Now, I'll put one caveat in here, um, which I think it's important for our population um, here in the United States, but may not be in Australia. When you have you know, just amazing coverage coast to coast, and you're only vaccinating women. What they commented on here was that the males were getting some herd protection from just vaccinating, you know, essentially 50% of the population, right? Oh, but they're not only they're not only vaccinating the women. Here's a really interesting part. They vaccinated 78% of the 15-year-old girls and 72.9% of the 15-year-old right, boys right. So have been vaccinated. what happened was they were actually getting benefits just from vaccinating girls. And this there was this idea of, oh, you know, if we protect the girls because the girls are the ones getting cervical cancer, right? That's the problem. But the problem is that, uh, you know, men harbor HPV, but that transformation of the cell, which goes from a benign cell to a malignant cell, it's not at all 
as common on the penis or on the foreskin. So you don't de- you don't develop penile cancer or you know any type of skin cancer on the foreskin. So the previous thinking was you could just vaccinate girls, but no, you actually have to try to get rid of the reservoir when it's an infectious cancer like this one, meaning guys and girls. So when they bumped it up to include, you know, both guys and girls, they essentially eliminated HPV from their island. I mean, that's tremendous. And that's what a good va- vaccine campaign looks like. I mean, that's what our polio efforts looked like on you know, in the Western Hemisphere and, and all these other vaccine preventable diseases. So... This is awesome, and it's a great success story, but we got to keep going. Uh, meanwhile, measles is coming back here. Let's Most move on to the next story. Uh, Santosh Ward, <laughs> I know we've all been out of med school for a number of years, <laughs> but uh, how good did you like how good do you remember doing in your anatomy classes? I did it so good, I took it twice. <laughs> I think I did all right, plead the fifth. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I enjoy it. I had a good time. Word, you guys remember our 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 anatomy professor was actually a veterinarian. We were one of the few med schools <laughs> where we still had the first year students doing the dissections. And I think that was invaluable. Is that why you still refer to feet as paws? <laughs> no, that's because it's cuter and it makes the little kids giggle when I'm examining their hands and feet. I say, let me see those paws. And they're like, they're hands, silly. And I'm like, I know. And we laugh. Yeah. And then I jab them with a needle and they cry. And No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> we all miss the fact that apparently there's a whole organ in the body we were unaware of. And for years and years, we had a portion of our uh, abdominal cavity, you know, the, the organ refrigerator, which was covered with layers and layers of like this buttery looking fat that we'd have to scrape out of the way to get to all the interesting organs. And it turns out now people are saying that was an actual organ in and of itself. The fat, yeah. Yeah, d- d- that, the well, fat, it isn't yeah. actually fat. We'll talk about it in just a second. But I do want to recap, you know, over the last few years. So, guys, we graduated in 2013. And since then, okay, new ligament in the knee, right? So, anterolateral ligament. Um, the mesentery yes. in the belly or the omentum was described as a new organ. New lymphatics found in the brain and now... Oh, no, no, no. We knew about the mesentery. The, the... No, no, no. Well, the, the omentum was classified as an organ. And I think that's important because this is kind of the same thing, right, Josh? Yeah. So even as the omentum gains momentum, the next organ that we added is a newly discovered network of fluid-filled channels is being debated as a previously unknown organ. And unfortunately, one of the things that it helps to do remarkably well is transport cancer cells around the body. So it's, it is a underground railroad in the worst sense of the word. (laughs) Well, we, we don't know that for sure. It is important for that, but let me first say that, um, you know, this was uh, published in uh, March of 2018 in Scientific Reports. That's hot off the it's presses. It's hot off the presses, yeah. It was actually, believe it or not, it was initially submitted in May of 2017. This took a long time to come around. And and what happened here was that, you know, guys, we usually, um, you know, if we take a skin biopsy or something, we make a slice and then, you know, we we set it down. 
and we examine it under under the microscope, that thin layer of tissue. But in this case, what they did is they did freezing biopsy. So they, they actually did, uh, you know, a cold snap and then they fixed it, meaning they used a, a fixative. That doesn't mean they like repaired it. Um, and then they started seeing that these little like, you know, fluid filled interstitial space and they found draining lymph nodes and a complex of thick collagen bundles base and they found draining lymph nodes and a complex of thick collagen bundles and then that extensive you know interface between these little proteins and uh, everything else and we'd never actually visualized this before in a tissue slice as part of the problem why we hadn't noticed this before is it these channels collapse when the body cavity is opened and also in tissue slices. So it was first discovered. Yeah, it dehydrates. It, it dehydrates like the Ronco electric dehydrator. So this discovery was yeah, first noticed from routine endoscopies. It, it and as somebody like was looking at a bile duct, uh, they were expecting to see, you know, this hard, dense oh, wall of yeah. tissue. But instead, they found a bunch of weird, trippy patterns. And they took it to a pathologist, and he said, interesting, and shoved the same endoscope up his nose. I mean, not the same endoscope. That had been down someone's throat. But he he still took a device and looked under the skin of his own nose and then began to investigate (laughs) other organs and saw that all of these strange patterns around organs are made by a fluid moving through channels everywhere in the body. So this whole collection of channels is a inter corporal corporeal interbody highway system exactly it's exactly yeah. like what santos yeah. said because when you put these when you put these little structures underneath a microscope and cut and put into thin slices underneath a um, underneath a glass slide they don't look right right but when you look at it with a microscope in person alive they look different Right. Or, or if you do, you know, what they did is basically like they rehydrated or snap froze the tissue. Um, but yeah, the coolest thing was that, you know, you found this structure running underneath the skin, you know, under the lining tissue of the esophagus. Uh, you said bile ducts, right? So you saw it, you know, by the bile ducts, the lung, stomach pain. So you find this almost, you know, like you're connecting every little bit of tissue to every other little bit of tissue with this like extensive layer that we thought like if before it was just like, Oh, there's some fluid sitting under there and you know, it's just kind of staying static. And it's estimated that this organ, these kind of channels contain around a fifth of the total fluid volume of the human body. (laughs) It's a lot that we were missing before. This is like finding dark matter. We have dark matter in our body. Isn't that the premise of the flash? So the question is, like, what else does this do? So, you know, the the working hypothesis is shock absorbers. Stop it. (laughs) Boing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But this fluid may also aid the spread of cancer. And they found that a lot of these cancer cells, this may actually be how cancer metastasizes, not just through the blood, but working its way out of the original tissues and into these channels. So there's a lot to study moving forward. And our organs keep growing and growing and growing, which, while not quite the sense I mean it in, is the Latin origin of the word tumor, which just means swelling. Yeah, it's a bump. Santos, you and I might have to take anatomy thrice now that we have a new organ system. So get your paws and snoot ready to dive back in. 
<laughs> I I actually really love this. Um, in the in the scientific reports paper, Josh, um, it should be noted that you know we, we were talking about fluid moving around everywhere, you know, just under the skin, just along the linings of tubes like the esophagus and the stomach. Um, but the reason that they talked about um, this being a highway for cancer cells is because in the same way that they fixed the original cells. They actually did this to um, other tissues from patients uh, where they had found cancer before, and they found these collection of cancer cells dwelling in this little interstitial highway. So there is like real evidence of this, and, and we have to kind of like go back in tissue samples now and, and maybe, you know, go back to our patients and see, you know, how often does this really happen in our clinical practice and how much are, are, are we even missing it? Yeah, so it'll be very interesting for future study. Now, moving on to our, our next story, how familiar are you guys with like all the different genetic testings that tell you, you know, oh, I thought I was white, but it turns out I'm like 20% caveman and like 3% uh, tiger and, you know, 1% banana. Didn't we talk about how we share like 60% of our DNA with a banana anyways? But where's that banana that from? Shit, I've done it, it for my dog. Tiger. I've not done it for me myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you did you guys do any of the like the home DNA stuff, Josh or Ward? Did you guys do the Yeah. There's a 20 well it's not 23. Dogs have more I think they have more yeah. chromosomes than 23. <laughs> and there's like a, yeah. a equivalent for dogs. I've never done it for myself because well, I, th- I have a feeling Dr. Josh is going to talk about why. Wait, what? Yeah, I've always <laughs> advised people against doing these direct genetic tests, mostly because if you look at the fine print of the companies, once you send off your genome, yes, they send you back the information. And yeah. there's a whole bunch of moral and ethical questions about what happens when you know about certain things outside <laughs> of context. But one of the sketchiest parts is that a lot of the fine print says once you send them your genetic information they own it to do with kind of as they will and that's always kind of stopped me from being like well i don't know that i want my genetic code being you know used in like a youtube video or a pepsi commercial or whatever other things corporate america can come up to do with it so i've usually steered away from those and stuck to like libraries and family trees and older relatives to learn about where I came from. But I understand the appeal, and it's very exciting. So although I advise against it until the companies get a little bit less sketchier with how they phrase it, I can certainly understand why people would want to do this. And now one of these companies is taking this to the next step and offering genetic cancer screening. And that's one of the things I really wanted to speak about and clarify today. So the company is 23andMe, and they just in the last week uh, on, well, last month, on March 6th, said they are now selling a direct-to-consumer take-home medical test to look for a specific kind of breast cancer risk. So this isn't something new and limited just to cancer, right? So when you get the little box and, you know, you have the kit, you're supposed to spit into it and everything like that. There are a bunch of things that you actually check off that you say, oh, you know, can we share this info with your relatives? Like, can you make it public or can you make it accessible by others? 
um, you know, what do you want to find out basically? And one of the boxes is, do you want to look at disease risk or not? And there's actually like, aside from cancer, there's several other conditions that you can look at, right? Right. And the question that hasn't really hit the news yet becomes, what if you do find out from one of the home testing, happy fun time kits that you have some condition that would preclude you or limit the amount of health insurance or life insurance coverage you can get later because they say, well, it, you know, we may not have tested you for it, but now that we know that you have it, we're going to limit coverage. And that's also been, you know, a little moral swamp that hasn't quite been delved into yet. A few of the problems I think that really come up with this 23andMe thing are that, one, they're looking for three specific mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, which are known to increase the risk of developing breast and ovarian cancer in women and breast and prostate cancer in men. Now, this in and of itself is an admirable goal, but there's a few problems. There's a lot more than three mutations in those genes that cause cancer. This is really just... You know, do you have A, B, or C? And if you think, oh, well, I don't, perfect, everything's fixed forever, when in fact it's do you have A through like double Z, triple Y, 3.14159 different kinds of mutations? Right. And this has this is an enormous implication for a person's health, right? So it's not just sitting and worrying, you know, oh, because this this was detected or this wasn't detected you know, will I or won't I develop cancer? Uh, the, the, the implication here is that if you're at super high risk, so for instance, you know, if you're a physician and you find a family where there are a lot of women who have early breast cancer, you run this test separately, right? Not in a commercial way, but actually in a, in a very rigorous, you know, laboratory environment. And if you find BRCA1 or BRCA2 significant mutations, you may actually recommend to a young girl who's in this family tree to get a a prophylactic mastectomy. You may actually let her know that one of the options available to her is actually to have her breast tissue removed when she's young to kind of take that risk away entirely. Um, this was actually made famous by Angelina Jolie, who underwent this procedure. Yeah, and it's not uncommon for breast cancer patients who, once they've been diagnosed with it, to get these two uh, BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes tested to see if they need to take out the other unaffected breast just to prevent uh, future breast cancer occurrence because the thought process is that you, if you have uh, different types of mutations, your chances of developing cancer in that opposite breast is so high that uh, they prophylactically just take out the other breast. That's being done with in consultation with geneticists, oncologists, and your surgeon. And this is where, you know, we actually run into almost heavy statistical terms as well, because just because a per- it, because it's it only sounds- testing for three out of more than a thousand known mutations, you may get a false negative where you test negative, but still have an increased cancer risk from having those other different mutations that aren't tested for, or you could get a false positive in the sense that you could test positive for one of those three genes, but still not be at high risk because the gene itself isn't being expressed in a way that is going to increase your risk for cancer. Just having the gene doesn't guarantee that something will develop. 
Right. And so I, I understand the intent, right? Like you can, you know, if you come up with one of these things, like, for instance, if you don't have one of the three mutations that they test for, and by the way, they included those because those are the mutations which have been studied the best and which kind of have the the be- the most evidence behind them that you know they're they're closely linked with breast and ovarian cancers but you can't just breathe easy Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Because this comes back negative on a uh on a commercial test like 23 and me you can't just say oh i'm done and on the converse side i know the intent is to actually say oh you should probably check more with your physician but who are you targeting right do you do you know if this person has access to an oncologist or a doctor who can go get this testing done you know do you do you have enough education such that the person who's reading this can understand what the implication is. And, you know, you can cause a lot of, and this isn't just the patients. This could be, does the doctor understand the genetic testing significance as well? Oh, absolutely. I think that's an important point. Yeah. Not to mention that only a small percentage of people carry these these specific three mutations. And by and large, it's uh, Jewish women, women of Ashkenazi or Eastern European Jewish descent. So in that population, uh, it may make sense to do this test. But if you're somebody from Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, you wouldn't even be likely to carry these kinds of genes because they're just not in your particular region's genetic code. And even let's say, let's go one step beyond that. Even if you do test negative for these and you are of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, there are still environmental factors like smoking, obesity, uh, lifestyle changes that can increase breast cancer risk. So your habits could still put you at risk of developing the disease, even if the genetics aren't there. Not only about five to 10% of cancers are hereditary or of breast cancers are believed to be hereditary. Well, I like how passionate and how worked up Dr. Josh gets. Yeah, the, the preventative aspect of breast cancer and a lot of other cancers is is somewhat controversial because remember a few years ago they were changing the recommendations for mammograms. Uh, this is something that even doctors were still we're still trying to get a hold of the numbers right. and trying to make you know per- perfect sense of it. Yeah. So I mean, again. If this is something you're going to go out and do, 
by all means, it's not going to directly harm you. Please be aware that it is no substitute for, again, an actual physician visit or a proper genetic counselor. And I just, I do not like direct-to-consumer marketing. I think everyone should be educated and, you know, go out and do your own research and seek out your answers. But to do tests outside of the context and the training and the understanding, and that goes for physicians as well, is at best irresponsible and at worst a direct danger to your health. Right. So, I mean, for instance, I'm a pediatrician, I'm an infectious disease doctor. I shouldn't be trying to speak knowledgeably um, or in depth about like neurosurgery, right? So this is the same kind of thing, you know, but putting genetic information in the hands of people who are untrained. So, you know, feel free to keep on looking up how many different continents your dog comes from, Dr. Ward. But uh... Roscoe is a <laughs> part Catahoula hound. Who knew? <laughs> I, I want to I just say, uh, just because I needed to look this up because my brain wouldn't leave me alone. Uh, dogs have 78 chromosomes. Uh, that's thing number one. Thing number two is there's a Wikipedia article that actually lists a list of organisms according to their chromosome count. And thing number three, the highest number of chromosomes on this list is 448 to 452 chromosomes found in a butterfly. Now, it's been a while, uh, almost way back in our, our first season when we covered the Zika virus in our episode Zika de Duda. And one of the things the Zika virus made the news for was microcephaly of children in women who had been infected with the Zika virus. And that means that women, pregnant women who got infected in, I believe it was uh, <laughs> Central and, and South America oh, and the Caribbean, were giving birth to babies with small heads due to some lack or decreased brain tissue. And that was a big deal. And we got all worked up about it and then kind of forgot about it because, you know, 2017 has been an interesting year, as has 2018. And now we're kind of coming right. back around and saying, well, let's take this, this big, dangerous, terrible thing, this Zika virus for that effect, and let's use it to directly fight cancer. This was a big deal, right? I mean, there were travel advisories for, and I, I have friends who looked at the map and said, you know what, I'm not going there. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, you know, we know it can wreak havoc on developing fetuses, feti. So now a bunch of researchers are looking into how to use it to fight a specific form of brain cancer, and that is glioblastoma. Uh, the most common form of brain cancer, one of the more resistant to treatment, and the most famous person that you may be aware of who has it right now is U.S. Senator John McCain. The secret to the success of Zika as a treatment is that it specifically takes aim at stem cells or developing cells in the brain. And in children, that can lead to microcephaly. But in cancer, where the only newly developing stem or developing cells are the cancer cells, that gives you a direct target that will not have some of the same side effects as chemo or radiation. Yeah, glioblastoma is tough to treat because they sometimes form deep inside in the middle of brain tissue. So they're, they're, you can't really get to them with a knife. You can't really cut them out. 
and the blood-brain barrier makes chemotherapy difficult. Researchers, and, and I think, Santosh, you, you took a closer look at this article. So where was it and what did these researchers do as published in the Journal of Experimental Medicine? And boy, what an apt title that is. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was fascinated by this. It was actually the Journal of Mass Spectrometry. Um, and this took place in Brazil. A lot of Zika research is being done in Brazil because that was the epicenter of the epidemic. I love this study. So the basic underlying premise here is that, hey, there are little seeker and destroyer viruses that go after cells and bust them open. So why not use them to do some good? And we've talked about this a little bit before with other pathogens that like to go after certain types of cells. So why not retrain them to go hunt down cancer cells? Um, I think salmonella was our famous uh, example because it actually likes to get into macrophages, which is a subset of white cell. So in this particular case, uh, professors out in uh, in Brazil, led by Dr. I love this name, Rodrigo Catarino, they decided to put some Zika onto glioblastoma cells in a Petri dish to start. And they actually just infected the cells and said, well, you know, does Zika go after these glioblastoma cells in a Petri dish? Um, and will it kill these glioblastoma cells? And the answer to both questions was yes. Um, when you looked at it under the microscope and you added Zika virus to these growing, you know, glioblastoma cells in a Petri dish, the, the cells started kind of clumping together and then dying. But they went a step further and they used a really cool technology and they looked at the chemicals that were actually being produced in these infected cells. And one of the chemicals they found was a drug called digoxin. Um, and we've used this for a long time. We use it, it's a cardiac drug and it's also you know, a toxic drug. It can be used for chemotherapy. And the viruses were actually producing a form of digoxin inside of the infected cells. Essentially they were delivering like nature made chemo right into the cells and they were perfectly ready to do it because they attack brain cells anyway nature no you can't sir <laughs> well you you can't right now because the worry is that the zika is gonna like finish munching on the cancer cells and they're going like, what do you want to do now guys oh there's all this other brain tissue here <laughs> so yeah <laughs> Well, they did. They did it on mice, right? They tried it. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the brain. Um, they they did attempt it. However, you know, a mouse study does not a human study make. Um, and the the mouse study really was to uh, infect the cells. Yeah, from the Journal of Experimental Medicine, researchers injected either Zika virus or a saltwater placebo directly into the brain tumors of 33 mice. And two weeks later, tumors were significantly smaller in the Zika-treated mice, and they survived significantly longer than the ones given placebo. So again, as, as Santosh noted, the mouse studies are not a perfect analog to human studies because mouse physiology is not quite the same. But it is still fascinating to see that this does work in an in vivo setting. And when 
we're looking at future applications, this would be used in conjunction. So, for example, if you injected right. Zika virus directly so into the brain during surgery yeah. while removing the primary tumor and using the Zika virus to then clean yeah. up any residual cancer cells. Now, we're looking at years and years down the line after this has been proven safe, but the first step is these animal trials. Fascinating developments in the fight against cancer. The next one, not so much a direct fight against cancer, but just a fun story because I like to throw those in every now and again. Uh, certainly, as the three of us are, are getting older, uh, we are beginning to look more mm, distinguished. I hate that word. I actually, so none of, I'm, I'm going to cut straight to the chase. Um, none of the hairs on my head are going gray, but the ones on my chest here. Nobody can nobody can see it, but I'm, I'm pointing it to the microphone. Yeah, yeah. There's it's really cool. No, because <laughs> there's this like you know there's the chest hair, and then there's this like point like a single gray, and it's super long. Guys, can we talk about this for a second? No. <laughs> okay, move on to the article. <laughs> but Josh, what does that have to do with cancer? No. <laughs> well, okay, ideally, you don't want any side effects from cancer treatment, but there's always some risks. And sometimes these effects are dangerous, and sometimes they're just bizarre. So in the Journal of American Medicine Dermatology, 14 patients involved in an immunotherapy found a very interesting side effect of the drug Keytruda, which is that it restores color to hair. <laughs> so this Keytruda is uh, anti-PDL1 antibody, correct? You know, it's what's called a, a checkpoint inhibitor. It's immunotherapy for cancer. Yeah. So it's the way it works is this trial took place at, and I swear to goodness, this sounds like a made up name, the Autonomous University of Barcelona. It's not, they're a real place, but I like to like, no, we're autonomous. We definitely do whatever we want. Yes. At the Wakanda Forever University in Spain. <laughs> I would go to the Wakanda Forever University so fast. I would break in if they said I couldn't go there. So immunotherapy kind of looks to use the patient's own bodies where you, you, where you provoke gene therapy or a new range of drugs that help stimulate the immune system. So as you mentioned, the, the PD-1, it's meant to give your immune system tools to help hunt down cancer cells, which means it'll allow the white blood cells in your own body to cease to recognize their own compatriots and then destroy body cells. So it turns your immune system back against cancer, which normally hides. But all of that is totally incidental. Still important, but incidental to the main reason I found this story fascinating. <laughs> and during this trial of you know a drug to see what the side effects were, one of the patients sure. noticed their hair getting darker. And he was initially thought to be, ah, this is a one-off, you know, freak accident. However, when 13 others in the trial all saw their pigmentation going from like gray to black or brown, the research team knew they were onto something. It turned out that the patients who did have the hair darkening and depending how dark the hair got, <laughs> they found that the immunotherapy treatment tended to work better in them. So the side effect is not only positive, but also appears to be an indication yeah. that the drug is working properly. This is <laughs> this is one of these side effects which I mean it's cool it kind of makes me scared right so 
there's a history of this, right? So there was once upon a time a drug which was engineered to uh, lower the blood pressure in the pulmonary circuit, meaning if you had high blood pressure in the lungs, it would lower the blood pressure in there. It didn't work terribly well, but there was an interesting side effect. Do you guys know what it is? Erections. So, <laughs> you know, they, they noticed that these patients that were receiving a drug for pulmonary hypertension were actually getting erections. <laughs> this drug turned out to be Viagra. And all of a sudden, this drug, which was made for one thing, was completely repurposed. Um, the same thing was a glaucoma eye drop called Latisse, um, which was originally for glaucoma. And then Brooke Shields found out that it regrew eyelashes. So now you paint it on, it becomes eyelashes. But this is kind of scary because this is an immunotherapy drug. But I'm, I'm just a little scared that someone's going to be like, dude, this is an enormous market that people don't want grays anymore. Can we give this to people off-label so that they can get black hair? Well, hey, Viagra, Viagra was a success story. I mean, uh, that medication is still super useful for um, a certain population of uh, pulmonary hypertension patients. It's absolutely still being used. Only so many people have pulmonary hypertension. Yeah, they're babies. Neonates, yeah. <laughs> no, but babies, like when babies have premature lungs and they develop pulmonary hypertension, you can use sildenafil. But but that well, that's I'm saying that was a success story, right? Maybe this can be a success story as well. It can you know cure certain kinds of lung cancer, and I don't have to go dye my hair anymore. And and <laughs> I I I suppose I'm just. I'm worried every time that we repurpose some like miracle drug like this, because then, you know. Well, okay. I'll, a couple corrections. First off, this is not a miracle drug. This is still an immunotherapy that does still have side effects. Second, they are not using it at this time to promote hair color or hair regrowth or changes sure, in sure. color. This is something that actually, now that they've identified this, they can use to help and track the effectiveness of the drug. And third, if they figure out what's causing it, that compound could in the future be developed to cause just this cosmetic effect alone. So there's a lot of assumptions in that last sentence, which I, I just had to call you out on. I'm, and I'm, we're glad you did. <laughs> Take that. No. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's true. It's true. I understand. And, you know, hey, medications for things like this, you know, regrowing eyelashes and darkening hair and getting a boner, uh, I guess they have their place. Yeah. So, as I said, I think it's just, you know, a fun thing. So, as we get older, I'm just hoping that uh, I can get a little bit less salt and a little more pepper um, with my with my age. <laughs> uh, yeah and and no lung cancer or the fighting the lung. that is going to bring us to the end of this week's journal club with all its associated cancers how about a just the tip have you guys done any traveling lately no i actually have not that's kind of sad Ooh, i went dr josh i went to uh iowa and uh wisconsin Also neat. Anything you would recommend? Yeah, <laughs> there was. <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna. Edit, I don't know if he's gonna edit this, guys. But you, you. There was so much silence. 
<laughs> so, like the electronic disturbance in my mic went away. There was so much silence after I said I went to Iowa and Wisconsin. Nothing else. Nothing else in Iowa, huh? Oh my god! All right. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it was, it was it was it was pretty. Well, Doctor Josh, what about you? What was the last place you traveled to? Uh, so I, I got a chance to go to Switzerland uh, about a year ago to visit with an it, old it, friend. It so and quiet. there were a couple different things I got to do and see there. But yeah. one of the places that is, it's a very subtle sort of thing and not so much a tourist attraction. But once the significance is explained, is pretty neat. And that is in the city of Lausanne, Switzerland. There are a number of golden cobblestones scattered in the in the streets. In fact, there's one specific courtyard called Le uh, I'm not even gonna try. It's it's the births of the full moon. Les Les Naissances de la Pleine Lune. So the golden stones in this sort of art exhibit or this courtyard, there's scattered golden okay. stones. And each one of those stones is inscribed with the name no, of a local easy. child born in the city beneath a full moon. They're all arranged around a fountain near the Church of St. Francis. And, it, you know, it's, it's a nice looking fountain. And it just is kind of this constellation looking plaza with these scattered golden bricks. And all of them have children's names inscribed. So it's a very subtle sort of thing. And not one that translates well to Instagram, but once you know, like, wow, every single one of these is, like, a local citizen. It's kind of neat to see. I mean, it's no Iowa, but it still has its moment. It doesn't produce a minute of silence when you mention it. (laughs) That still sounds lovely, Josh. (laughs) Okay, for real though, um, I want to give our listeners a preview about the Midwest um, because I'm really, really excited. Um, We have an interview coming up with Dr. Angela Hewlett, who is in charge of the uh, University of Nebraska UNMC Biocontainment Unit. Um, And, you know, we had just had this awesome conversation with Dr. Jean Biu, who then co-hosted with us on another episode. And she talked to us about Ebola and, you know, working at the NIH and what you do when you have to get a patient, you know, come over here. Um, Well, Dr. Hewlett actually runs one of these programs that if you need to quarantine someone or contain an infectious disease, you can stick them in her biocontainment unit. And uh, and kind of seal them off and, and protect everybody else. So I'm super super excited to be talking with her. And that really is a cool medical place right there in the middle of the great country, in the heartland, as they say. <laughs> You're still not selling it as a travel destination. Ooh. Ebola <laughs> destination, yes. No, no. If you end up there, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. You're like in big trouble if you end up there, but. Uh, like maybe you can get transported there. I don't know how to frame this. Guys, can we outro? <laughs> and that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes along with sources to all the stories we talked about. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from all our co-hosts. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, happy travels.
Bye, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.